Greetings and welcome again to Lyrics and Melody. I am your host, Kenji Bolden, and we have a treat for you today. My guest today is Mr. Bob Maravich of Chicago, Illinois, and I tell you, Bob is such a gem and a treasure to gospel music or to music as a whole. He has endeavored to bring forward some stories that we would never hear in regards to some of these gospel legends. And he has a podcast, he has a show, he has a book available, and I tell you, he is a very busy man, and I hope you will enjoy um, our conversation with Mr. Bob Maravich today. Let's listen in. You are a very busy man. Every time I see you on Facebook, you are uh, going probably just everywhere in regards to all things music, in my opinion. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a busy. It's been a busy fall. I guess late summer, early fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I, I try to do as much as I can, yeah. and still, you know, get things done. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, there, there's something every every weekend, and I got a lot of turn some things down. But yes. I try to get to the most important ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so before you um, became, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and 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 and. Um, people that know you in the music circle before you came Bob Maravich that we know now uh, were you doing any other type of work um, uh, in your life I was yeah I actually started out uh, working as a uh, uh, advancement officer uh, fundraising officer for uh, a number of schools I right out of college I had started to work at Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. was there eight years working in their fundraising office in various levels. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and then for St. Ignatius College Prep, which is a Jesuit high school in Chicago, uh-huh. was their major guest officer. And one of my favorite jobs uh, in, during that era of my life was at St. Ignatius because I, you know, I, I went out. I, my job was really not to be in the office. It was to meet with alumni and really try to encourage them to make major gifts to the school. So sure. I was... Yeah, so I was setting up alumni office, alumni groups around the country and meeting with really interesting people because the school had a lot of interesting alumni. Right. And, uh, and then I wanted to get an MBA, so I, I took a job at an, uh, a business school where I worked there and got an MBA. Okay. And uh, that, that takes us to around, a, around 1998. I uh, left that school and became a consultant in fundraising uh, with a former boss of mine who had started his own firm. And, Again, just I tr- uh, did a lot of probably more traveling than I would have hoped, but um, I, back in those days, it was to the point where you'd sit down at the dinner table and look for your seatbelt because you just were so used to getting on a plane. Yes. But uh, I, I did that until uh, 2009 or so. I got, a, I, I got a job as an executive director of a healthcare organization, and then that was it. I kind of think I hit my my level and i just thought you know it's time to uh time to do something else i yeah. you know i just had i'd spent 20 some years in fundraising and it was it's a noble profession but i just didn't feel that that was the best i could do and that really at that point the the radio show was going the journal of gospel music was going sure but um there was nothing really else cuz i didn't have time so right. that's that's when I just chose to really start a new chapter. Yeah. Now, growing up, um, 
And for my listeners, and, and, and this will be in the description as well, um, Bob Maverick is known as the blue-eyed soul child. Am I correct on that? <laughs> that is correct, yes. Yes, and, <laughs> um, and I tell you, he has done a tremendous job in helping to tell the stories of our forgotten and underrated gospel um, artists, and not just gospel, but in other genres of music. But at any rate... Um, where did your first interest in these genres of music start? Was that for you as a child, in high school, college? Do you know, I, I really think it started as a child, as Eugene, would, Eugene Smith would say, I started in knee pants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was like five years old, and I remember, uh, six years old, and I remember hearing uh, Booker T and the MGs on the radio. And this was a time uh, when, you know, my friends were into the Beatles and the yes. Rolling Stones. And, and I just heard this music, and I, I, wanted, I got, bought that record, and I bought their next, you know, whatever I could get money off my parents to buy mm-hmm. these little records. Um, and I fell in love with, with basically R&B, with soul, um, and uh, it sort of never left me, even though I did collect other kinds of music. Um, when I graduated from um, uh, well, when I guess when I graduated from college and started to collect m- in, uh, more records in earnest, I really did seek out the blues, the doo-wop, the R&B. I wanted to always go back and find the or- origins. So, uh, you know, in, in R&B it was like the 40s and 50s, uh-huh. and then the doo-wop was the 50s, and the soul. Uh, you know, at that time this was the 80s. It, I I, uh, I wasn't even collecting anything from the 60s. It, it was all before that. Um, so I always had that sense, and I even, enjoy, I mean, I, I was always listening to, well, back in those days here in Chicago, it would have been uh, V103, mm-hmm. or WGCI 107.5 would play R&B, and I remember coming home from work, uh, my early days after college, driving home and hearing uh, who I would never, you know, now you look back and this is history, but people like Frankie Knuckles on the radio doing house music. Right. To me, it was just music driving on the way home. Now, it, these guys are now really iconic. But uh, yeah, I always had a, a, I always was interested in black music. Yeah. From, from five, six years old. Um, Motown, uh, Stax, VJ, just it was uh, it was an anomaly in my neighborhood, but I liked it, and that's all that mattered to me. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you definitely whatever bug it was, you caught it. <laughs> yeah. So, in regards to your writing, for um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Bob has a book out called City Called Heaven. And um, it is a tremendous offering in regards to history, as I said to Marcel West in regards to his project. It's in regards to history, it's in regards to American history, gospel music history, music history. It is history. So it's definitely something you want to check out. But anyway, um, had you done any writing before uh, that book? I did, um, and and your your listeners will probably be surprised to know that my first writing in music. After everything I've said to you about, you know, my interest in, in uh, R&B and so forth, uh-huh. when I was in college, my senior thesis was on the role of tradition in contemporary country music. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right, 180-degree shift. Yes. But, um, I think the connection there was that this was still kind of roots music. Uh-huh. Uh, I was always looking back for historical music, and I fell in love with country for a bit, and that was in my, I guess, 
sophomore, junior, senior college, in addition to other music I listened to. And so I, I really did my senior thesis on that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then that was, you know, that was pretty much it. I wrote for my work all the time for, you know, working sure. in fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't until the late 90s when there was a gentleman out of uh, Vancouver Island in Canada who had started a blues website and had a gospel section that was started but not really being curated and he was looking for help with that and I offered to help him just to really and again I was so naive I I didn't know a whole lot about gospel at that time I liked it yes um, but I wasn't really that uh, knowledgeable but I said well I'm happy to kind of give you a little write-up on what I think would be the essential co- songs in your collection. Sure. And I, I did that from, like, 1997 to... He shut it down in 2001 or 2002, and uh, and it, then that was it. I wasn't really writing for gospel, on gospel music, until my wife, who had started a blog in 2004 uh-huh. for her area's global small business... She said, why don't you start a blog? Well, I, I, I didn't even know how to turn one on. Um, I, I had one friend who had a blog, and I could never access it. So I, but she said, no, go and see if there's, you know, if there's anybody that's doing a gospel blog. Mm-hmm. Well, there wasn't. I mean, I think the only, one, the only website at that time might have been um, uh, um, the one with uh, Gregory Gay. Uh, I can't think of the name all of a sudden. Um, gospel Flavor. I think that might have been the only yes, one out there yes, yes. at that time. And so, uh, so I did mine, uh, and that's when I, uh, you know, really part of it was the writing, but also I had joined the Gospel Announcers Guild because of my radio show, but I would meet artists at these events where they would give me their projects to review or mm-hmm. to play on my show. Sure. And my show was oldies. Gospel Memories has always been oldies, right. and I just couldn't play anything new on the show, so I felt kind of kind of guilty taking these projects and i thought well maybe this is the thing i can do this website this new blog i can start reviewing these new projects and um you know for the first year or so i had to to bug you know uh artists and uh managers and promoters and radio people to send me their materials but once that started then you know people started to send me more and more right um and that's really kind of how the writing then kicked back into full gear okay i got you and uh, I tell you, between those uh, three things, and are you still doing work on? Uh, is it on TV? Correct. Yes, we uh, we took a break, uh, but we're going to be back on. Uh, this was a an idea of Reverend Harold Bailey yes. in Chicago. He had talked to me years ago about doing this, and I just couldn't see myself on TV. I mean, radio, and I just thought, you know, I I'm not a TV person. But he kept saying, well, if you ever want to do it, you know, mi casa is su casa. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it was after the passing of Dora Sykes uh, yes, of the yes. uh, uh, Christian Tabernacle that I just called uh, Reverend Bailey and I said, you know, you are you are right. We get, we have to do this. So we started it with the Barrett sisters um, yes. and have kept it going. Uh, and so now um, we're we're back and hoping to start to do more interviews of artists in, here in Chicago. Uh, we just finished a run of people from the Thompson Community Singers, and maybe oh, do a little bit more of that. But yeah, but we're we're looking, you know, as we find people in town, we're trying to encourage them to come on the show. It's it can be challenging because some people are, 
you know, they don't remember everything and they don't want to come across on the show as not remembering. So uh, sometimes it takes a little encouraging. But once uh, a guest comes on and starts talking, just the memories start flowing. And, you know, you realize there was never a concern that they wouldn't remember. They remember more than we have time for. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite guests of yours on the show was... uh, Oh, Lordy, Miss uh, Ludella Evans-Reeds. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved her. Um, yeah, just amazing. And it was a pleasure meeting her last um, last summer during the Roberta Martin um, celebration concert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was fun. And I also watched the Barrett Sisters, and I think I watched the episode that you had with, um, oh, goodness, she wears blonde like a... a Oh, hand. Shirley Walsh. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Couldn't get it to come to me. Yeah, yeah. So I tell you, you are a very busy man. Well, you know what I love about the interviews, whether they're interviews for the you know Journal of Gospel Music or for TV, is when you start asking, you start to see all the dots connect. You mm-hmm. know, just like you mentioned Shirley Walsh, yes. where you know here she is, her, her. Uh, her relative was, I think her uncle was T-Bone Walker, you know, the guitarist. And, wow. you know, she'll talk about, you know, being in Detroit opening for T-Bone Walker and, you know, meeting Della Reese when she was starting out in these clubs. And then, you know, with the ward singers and you think, you know, really, we're, you know, I feel, and I know you feel the same. You just feel grateful in their presence that you had a chance to talk to oh, these sure. people who they were right there, you know, when all this was happening and part of it. Right. Uh, you know, it, it still amazes me to this day, somebody that you might think, oh, we're going to talk about such and such. And then they start telling you their story and you realize there's like eight different parts to their, their life history in terms of music. and Yes. Church. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and when you mentioned Shirley Walls, oh, I did not realize until probably even probably this past week. And when you talk about connecting the dots, how she has kind of been with just about everybody in regards yeah. to, you know, gospel music and all of that. Um, I remember seeing her doing some singing with uh, the Dorothy Norwood singers, and then saw what she did some singing, and, and the names escaped me, but it's just incredible. And as yeah. you said, it does connect these dots, and it's just it's just awesome. It really is. Well, my, my favorite Shirley story, and I think it's on the, the, the video show, is when she met Walt Disney and didn't believe it was him. <laughs> She's like, you're not Walt Disney. And then she said, I looked at his hands and he had perfect, you know, a manicure. And she said, oh, I thought, oh, you must be Walt Disney. But he was like, well, I'm afraid to say I'm sorry to tell you I am Walt Disney. <laughs> oh, my God. And this was her time. Was she with the Gertrude Ward Sangers? She was, yeah. That's she right. was on so that the, Disneyland album, yes. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah that may, okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. That's the group that I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. I was um, doing some looking up in regards to uh, uh, Miss Alice uh, out in uh, out in California, one of the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Clara Ward singers, and uh, Shirley Walls came to my attention. So yeah. Anyway. Um, now, what prompted you to do the writing for a city called Heaven? You know, it's as simple an answer as no one else was doing it. Um, and I, you know, I had known of many books on Chicago music. There, Bob Pruder's written wonderful books on Chicago soul and doo-wop, and there's books on jazz, Chicago jazz, and 
Lord knows there's books on Chicago blues. Sure. Uh, but there was no Chicago gospel, and I thought, what a tragedy. He was born here, and yet yes. there's nothing. You know, there were parts of it in books. You know, certainly, like Dr. Horace Clarence Boyer's book was yes. had a section, or, you know, yes. there's a book on Dorsey, uh, but it sort of ended like, right about 1934. So I thought, uh, I, I actually, uh, and actually, I, I told our good friend, the late Ron Greer, this story. Yes. I said, when I, when I first decided to leave fundraising full-time and go part-time and do a book, I was going to write a book about the Roberta Martin singers. I had no idea Ron was doing one. Ah. Um, and this is 2006. Okay. And I uh, completely uh, uh, unaware of, of, of his book. And um, I was talking with Tony Heilbutt of the Gospel yes. Sound. Yes, yes. And I said, um, so I want to do this book on the Roberta Martin singers. He said, oh, Bob, he said, there's not enough material on the Roberta Martin singers to do a full book. Well, you know, that's not, wasn't true, turns out, at the time. Right. He said, you know, have you ever just thought of doing one on Chicago? I said, yeah, but I, there's people here that should really be doing that book. He's like, I think you should do that book. He said, so I did it. Um, I, uh, in fact, Eugene Smith was sort of my first person to, you know, I had interviewed him for the radio show yeah. a couple of times, but I, uh, I just, you know, I figured if I can get Eugene's uh, sign off on this, and he was, of course, yes. happy to do it, and he took me around, and then I just started doing the interviews, uh, but it was a leap of faith, if, if there ever was one, I, I did. I went part-time. I just worked uh, three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I emptied my savings account to pay for travel and photographic, you know, uh, there's so many expenses involved with the book yes. that, uh, that you don't know when you start out. Uh, but it took eight years from start to finish to do wow. it. Um, and um, But I really just came out of the fact that there needed to be this book. Um, it wasn't being done. Uh, people were dying that yes. could be interviewed. And I thought, uh, you know, I guess it's me. Um, and that's really, I was really grateful that the University of Illinois Press gave the go-ahead for it because uh, I had pitched it to one publisher who was interested and then they decided it wasn't academic enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, but then I went to UI Press, which I had grown up with in college. The Music in American Life series was, uh, yeah. I really admired it. And, and so uh, they accepted the proposal. And so that was, they, that's how it happened. Uh, but honestly, um, I just felt there was a need yeah. to tell the story and to tell it from the perspective of the the churches and the culture. I have found, well, a lot of times with, with books that are out there mm-hmm. on gospel music, it's often to, more towards the popular, the fame, the recordings, the yes. accolades, and yes. not enough about the churches. And I felt, you know, we had, we had churches, promoters, all these people behind it. They also need to have their story told. You're right. And the choirs, which always get short shrift, I think, and history. Right. Nobody talks enough. So You're I thought, absolutely right. We tend to focus on the soloists, the musicians. Well, not many of the musicians, because there's some that have surfaced to the top that they get their their spotlight. But the the soloists and the groups, and that's where we and the songwriters, and we tend to stop there. Yeah, and you know, there's a a feeling I think, particularly among the academic community, that. And I don't think it's it's thought explicitly. I think it's sort of subconscious that, to the extent that gospel music artists influenced other types of American music, that's important. But it wasn't a sense of gospel music standing on its own as an art form in its own right. Right. Um, 
and so that's what I really wanted to show was how the culture of the of the west and south sides of Chicago particularly gave birth to this music kind of out of a need, uh, a spiritual need, a social yes. need, an yes. economic need. And, you know, that it really wasn't commercialized until after the Second World War. You know, before that, it was, it was and continues to this day, predominantly to be church music, right. um, not just the commercial side. So, um, you know, in Chicago, as you know, you can... You still can go to small churches and hear people singing gospel music like they did many years ago. Right. Um, and that, that's something that has been with Chicago. So I wanted to make sure that people understood it wasn't just about the fame and fortune, but it was about these churches and the pastors and the choirs and the music directors who labored really for little to nothing to make this happen back in the day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes. And, and there are stories that, uh, and it's a shame how, and I literally was just saying this to Marcel, how as new music comes about, we tend to forget about the music that brought us over and the music that was there before. You know, you have to have a foundation before you can start building up the walls or the roof or whatever the case is, or even the columns. There has to be a foundation. And um, But music, and, and you made a great point in regards to this music was came out of necessity and based on their struggles and the economic situation. Music reflects its people, and, and history proves that. That's right. That's right. And it, it's just so true. I mean, it, it seemed to me that the, the migrants, when they came to Chicago, that it turned, I mean, it, it's the old saying, every journey every journey ends at home, mm-hmm. where they came to Chicago looking for better opportunities, and better might you know, maybe lowercase be better, but it really wasn't that great. And so, you know, here you are in a foreign or kind of an un, in a, a city that you're unknown, you don't know anybody, you're treated poorly or at least, you know, dismissed. Yes. And you turn to what you remember, your your religious culture, your religious worship style and so forth that you really feel that is the most important aspect of your life that you can carry with you and so you know, you just they sort of brought southernness to Chicago and and stayed in southernness as a way to protect themselves against the elements. Right, right, yes. You know, it's just interesting the things that are born out of necessity, and mm-hmm. it's not even trying to uh, make an impact on on anyone outside of outside of yourself or anything outside of your small circle or whatever the case is. But it's just amazing how that happens. Sure, and I, I, your, your point is well taken in terms of the music. I mean, art and culture, if you really want to learn about a people and their experiences, turn to that. Um, and, and the music, gospel music, really does express that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the, the lyrics, certainly, um, but also just in the stories of what, uh, and and what I think why it struck me the most about when I was doing the research for the book, talking with people, was just how close the community of gospel singers was here. Not that they were always friendly with each other, and they right. certainly had their spats. Yes. But um, but yet you would hear people time and again say, "Oh, you know, I sat in my living room with you know Albertina Walker and James Cleveland and yes. you know, Jesse Dixon. We're having dinner, and I never thought anything of it. Never thought that these would someday be historic figures. They were just." The singers in the neighborhood that did gospel, and they were—they right. knew my parents and came over, and you thought, "Oh my heavens!" But it was that kind of feeling. Everybody knew everybody, and you know, like any family, you have good times and bad times. But yes. when it came down to it, they were there. That was a—you know—they used to say, "Sally Martin, 
uh, when when James Cleveland was sick, Sally Martin would come over and bring him soup. I mean, yeah, it's uh, that kind of community that uh, right. that fostered the music. Right, and you're absolutely right. And, and it was necessary. It was necessary. They knew they needed each other. Um, I think one of my last conversations. I think perhaps I don't. I, I can't even remember now. You know, I still am shell shocked, and I have to reel myself in from the fact that our friend that you mentioned earlier, Ron Greer, is not with us. I know that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife mentioned his name yesterday, and you know, <laughs> I, I. I'm still at a loss of words, and I have his picture sitting. I'm in my office now, and his picture with my group from the first time he brought us to Chicago. Oh, yeah. Right above my bookshelf here. And I I just, I'm in disbelief from it, because he and I would talk all the time, just all the time. And anyway, one of the last conversations we had um, was about Roberta Martin and Sally Martin. And I told him, I said, I believe they may not have been call each other on the phone and laugh, girl, let's go hang out, let's go uh, uh, down the street, let's go shopping type friends, but I think they had enough respect for what each other was doing. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think, uh, you know, Sally was no nonsense. I just saw a picture of her and uh, I, I, I just not long ago picked up Will Ward's book and saw this wonderful picture of Sally Martin and she is standing, I mean, she is Stoic face that you can be. Yes, that was just her. That yes, was sir. just her. <laughs> and uh, and yet, and yet, when I was listening to her interview with Lorraine Goreau for Bahalia's biography, you know, she was speaking at Martin and Morris. This was what 1973 or so, mm-hmm. and you could hear in the, her tone of voice when she talked about Roberta Martin. It wasn't in a negative way. It was as in like a girlfriend kind of way. Uh, so I, I think you're right. I think that yeah, they may have had uh, you know issues professionally, but but if something had happened, they were there. Right. You know, they were there. And before I get to my last point on Miss Mar- on Sally Martin, um, where is that interview available? Is that on YouTube somewhere? You know where it's at is if you go to Tulane University's uh, there's a jazz uh, archives at Tulane in in Los Angeles, and um, the folks at the Archive for African American Arts and Culture at Indiana University persuaded Lorraine Garo's last surviving relative to donate her materials to Tulane. Okay. So if if you go to Los, uh, to New Orleans there to the Jazz Archives, they have the tapes and they'll play them for you. Um, and and that's what I did some years ago, prior to the book, because I, I wanted to hear. You know, because I, 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 I love that just the Mahalia Baby book. It's just so kind of yeah. emblematic of, 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 of Mahalia Jackson. So I wanted to hear the um, Sally Martin interview just to see if there was anything she said that was missing. And uh, I think I did get a lot of benefit from that. But it just to hear her, you know, as she's sitting in her store and people are coming in and they're buying things. And you, you just heard... A, you know, a peppiness in her voice and uh-huh. a, and a, and an energy which we, you know, most of the time you hear um, Sally Martin, she's singing and then she gets off the stage. But here, you know, she was talking and very pleasant and remembering things. And uh, I, that was just a treat to to hear her in that manner. 
and to find out that you know that she and Roberta were the favorite singers of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's parents. Yeah. Um, yes. You know that they were they were the two. I think it was uh, that uh, that uh, Daddy King liked Roberta. And Mama King like Sally. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was just up at uh, Ebenezer earlier in in the summer visiting, and um, and I'm getting off subject. I'm sorry. And I remember reading years ago when I was doing a a study on Dr. King's eulogy, and and how his mom was shot at the organ about six years later. Yeah, and it's something. Isn't that something? And I remember saying to the person, um, I guess the the tour guide. They didn't actually guide us on a tour. They um, just said, "Come on in, you can take a look." And I asked him. I said, "Is this the same place his mom was shot?" And she looked at me. He's like, "His mom was shot." Like, you yes. Yeah, no, yes. <laughs> like, yes. You know, it, and in this church, and at one of these, they have a, a pipe organ in there and a Hammond organ that's roped off. They still do services in there, I think, when they do traditional um, uh, throwback services, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the Hammond organ looked like it's just roped off, and it might be one of the vintage instruments that was used. So, as Bob and I were talking, the connection failed. So we pick right back up so you'll be able to hear where I splice the new conversation with the old. But here we go. Talking about uh, when, when Mrs. King was shot at, uh, at her organ, and I remember when I first heard that story just thinking, you know, how much more could the King family have suffered, you know, yes. on this earth with everything going on? Just what a terrible thing to have happen. Sure. You know, it's, uh, uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, but, well, and one of his brothers died in a mysterious manner, uh, drowning um, at a a pool party. I do not remember. Um, But all of this came to me. I was in a college speaking, uh, public speaking class, and I was doing research on his eulogy, on Dr. King's eulogy, and all of this came up for some way. I I don't even remember. But anyway, I was getting back to Sally Martin. Um... Sally was the mistress of ceremony at Roberta's funeral. Yeah, yeah. And I was saying to Ron, I said, that particular honor would not be stowed on any enemy or any type of thing like that. So I, I just really believe that they had a mutual respect for one another um, that a lot of people don't realize. It, it reminds me a lot of I used to have a neighbor who was really close with her sister, and then they tried to go on vacation together, and they about killed each other. But they were very close, you know. <laughs> they realized they could never go on vacation ever again together, but they were close, you know, just because they were so different. And sure. I think that was probably the case, you know, with with uh, especially back in those early days in gospel when, um, you know, there was you know as, there was jealousy. There were people who you know were fans of a certain you know, singers or groups more than others. And, uh, you know, we see that today, but, um, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I, just as close as they all were. And, you know, even Dorsey and, and Sally Martin, you know, there's that great scene in Same Men Somebody where yes. they look very uncomfortable <laughs> sitting next to each other, but, you know, they were close. They were in the, I mean, she, she was, she never, she could have gotten out of the national convention, the gospel choir, and just never did it again, but she was there till the bitter end. So yes. it wasn't, you know, it's, it's, he said it's a, it's a distant love. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Oh my goodness, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, so have you ever ran into any opposition as a white man in with interest in black music? Have you ever ran into any opposition that way? You know, uh, not to my face, okay. um, but I do know that in people who I trust had said, you know, sort of behind my back, People said, you know, well, why is a white man writing this book about was about the Chicago Gospels? Why is a white man writing this book about gospel music? And I said to him, you know, I said two things. I said one is because it wasn't being written, and I said, you know, the people complaining, why didn't they write it? Amen. You know, why didn't they? Or you know, so it's like, you know, I I I just kind of think of you know the old saying we talk about King is you know judge the person by the content of their character. Sure. Um, it would be it would be different if I was trying to use this story to make a fortune or sure. to exploit. And I was very clear from the very beginning with everyone I interviewed that this was not a gossip tell-all book about gospel. Because believe me, those stories do exist. And, they do. And, uh, yes. And, and I thought, but that I'm not that writer. Um, right. And so... You know, there were plenty of times when people, we turned the tape off and they told me the story, we'd t- turn the tape back on again. Um, right. But yeah, you know, and I, I know there, even in with the Journal of Gospel Music, you know, there was uh, one instance in particular where somebody told me that a fairly prominent person in the business was mad because they had uh, serviced me with the project that they had out and the guy literally said, yep, give it to the white man first. And they were really offended by that. So it, you know, I, it does come up, but honestly, I, I just kind of, you know, just keep moving on. I, you know, I, I feel badly that people feel that way that, right. you know, and 99.9% has of anyone I've run into is encouraging of what I'm doing, but you always have that, you know, 0.1% sure. that are always, upset. Yeah. And, you know, that I just have to deal with that uh, as, you know, African-Americans have had to deal with the 99.9% that have not wanted them to do things. Sure. So I've had, you know, I, I, I can never say that I understand what it's like. Um, so I, I don't go there. But um, I, I, do, I do say that, um, you know, that this, this has happened and it probably will continue to happen. But it, sure. I just have to just assume that the person who's saying that, uh, you know, it doesn't know me or is upset about many other things. And I just happen to be the person that seems the most convenient to take out their, their anger or, you know, frustration on. I got you. I got you. Um, and it, it makes me wonder cause, and you know, we, we know of the, um, there was a previous, uh, gospel book years ago put out, that, um, as you mentioned, in regards to almost being uh, uh, tell-all tell type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made me wonder, did it kind of burn the bridge before you got there a little bit? A little bit. Um, one book in particular did. Um, it, well, it, it just kind of shut down all researchers from this particular organization for a while. Yes. Um, that is no longer the case, um, uh, but at, for a while, um, it, it even kind of well it lumped all researchers into one bucket. It, it, right, indiv- right, right. Yeah, the individual is willing to work and, and, and very, very nice to me, very open to me, and then as soon as this book came out, 
sort of closed the doors off and said, no more. This is it. No more discussion. So I, luckily I had had what I had, and of course anything that was in the public view or you know, whatever I could use, but, but it, it did make it difficult uh, for a time. Um, uh, that is no longer the case, thankfully. But yeah, it you know, that that did happen, and and that's that's my feeling still as I'm working on this new book on peace. Be still is that um, I, I, you know, I know stories that, and we all do. Yes. Um, but are they necessary? Um, you know, I'm not here to do the gossip book. Right. Um, I'm here to to talk about the music. If there's something that's absolutely essential to the story, it's one thing. But, you know, a lot of times those things aren't essential to the story. They're, um, as a, actually a, a gentleman once said to me, they said, you know, is, when I was talking about how difficult it was in some instances to tell the story, they said, well, you know, is it that net important to the story? It's not really. So then why I say it? You know, right. So that kind of gives you the sense of whether or not you really need to dig that deep. Um, right. You know, uh, it's not it's not needed. It's only when someone tries to change the facts. Um, and we did have that one instance where there was a a person who went into someone else's article and changed the facts to suit their purpose. Um, um, that I was upset and uh, and let that journalist know that that had happened. But uh, you know, it, you know that's what I what I write is is not. I, I don't even put that out there to begin with, so right. you know, it's, nobody needs to change anything I'm doing as far as I know. I tell you. And um, I was talking with a uh, composer and arranger. Uh, writing is not as lucrative as what people think. And being, that is correct. Being published, you know, unless you're selling millions and millions and millions of copies, you know, all of us can't be Oprah and and Dan Brown and, and James Patterson <laughs> and the rest of right. them. But that's, that's always my comment is that if you know if uh, if you want to make a money writing books, you want to write about vampires exactly. and you know uh, gothic novels and, and and women running away from castles and so forth. There you go. Yeah, um, I, I know that in my lifetime I may make my money back on a city called God, on city called heaven, but probably not. Right. And that's not why I do it. You know, I and that's not why I do it. Um, I you know I in talking with other authors, we find that uh, where you know you get some where your compensation comes from is that people will invite you to do other things uh, yes. that, that they do pay. But as far as the books, it is very much a labor of love. Um, and unless, yeah, you're a, you know, writing about something in current events uh, or, you know, the, the latest fad, uh, it's very, very difficult. There's no advance or, you know, you're, you just, it, it, academic books in particular from a university press or, you know, a, you, 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 you don't make, you know, a couple hundred dollars a year or something like that. It's not right. much. You're absolutely right. Uh, this this composer was telling me about how the publisher, uh, the company will make 50 cents, and they have to turn around and pay him 10 cents out of mm -hmm. that 50 cents. Um, mm -hmm. And anyway, you know, and and it's, it's a hard thing for people on the outside of, uh, literature or uh, music writing to understand, you know, there's there's no rich, uh, there's no lucrative gain involved with this, you know, no. especially when you're trying to tell the truth and tell and tell stories that 
aren't sex, drugs, rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. My, my wife and I always joke that if we wanted to uh, improve our, our lifestyle, we would just write about sex and chocolate and cats, <laughs> and, you know, and that, you know, we'd be living on the top penthouse. But, um, you know, I've always said that, you know, I, I always feel like if I do anything more, at least City Called Heaven is a legacy that I can leave. Um, and yes. and it's true. You, you don't make money, uh, but um, you know that you've done something that is worthwhile and yes. you know i i know i'll continue to do that in fact i was talking with some uh, other authors at an event recently and we all had the same experience it's what the it's to what you're talking about now is uh oftentimes when you cannot get an interview with someone uh it's because they do believe that you're going to make a fortune off of their interview and um that you know that people there was one gentleman i forget who he wanted to interview and they threw out a figure that was in the five figures for the interview and he's like you don't understand i'll never make that money back of this book in my lifetime much less any other you know money i've invested into it so um you know and i i knew that there were you know i again it's like 99 percent of the people i wanted to interview i was able to but the one percent i wasn't held out for something that they felt you know their story was worth more and I, you know, I just, I'm just a little country writer here. I, you know, I'm not able to provide that kind of compensation. Sure. And um, sadly, oftentimes those stories went to their grave because they never shared it with anyone. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I, we, we all agreed that we, you know, had had instances where people did feel that these books were going to sell in such large numbers that. You know, and, and I understand. I mean, I, you, I, you know, we know the stories of what happened in the 40s and 50s and 60s where artists, you know, wrote songs or recorded songs and they went on to become big sellers and they received no compensation and uh, and that is absolutely wrong. And, yes, and, uh, it leaves and so I can understand where, jaded, yeah. Yeah, and so I could see where somebody might say, listen, you're just going to try to do the same to me. You're going to take my intellectual property and make a fortune on it. Um, and so it's hard to break that 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 uh, stigma of what happened. Yes, uh, you know. You're absolutely that. right. I've actually ran into that in the short-lived um, lifespan of this podcast. Uh, I shouldn't say short-lived, but in the uh, uh, short time that this has been going on, I've had that happen. I reached out to a person that was a part of one of the gospel groups, and you know, it sounded all good and. You know, I guess once the once it became clear that you know this is not a thing of making money, there's no mm-hmm. money to be made in uh, at least not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't heard from the person at all, and it's been it's been a while, and and that's okay. And it you know yet again, that's okay. This is an opportunity for you to tell your story. And Marcel West and I was just talking about the same thing. It takes you back to um, when Dolores Barrett said. Dolores Bass Campbell said uh, when they did Say Man Somebody mm-hmm. and I can't remember the gentleman's name that uh, did the documentary uh, help me with that oh well, that's George Nirenberg yeah. thank you thank you and how he went to other gospel singers but the only mm-hmm. ones that agreed to do it were the few that we saw on the uh, documentary and mm-hmm. the exposure that came from it they're beating themselves up you know the ones that are probably living probably are still beating themselves up today for not doing it that's right exactly you don't you don't see the vision <laughs> you, you, you don't get the benefit that's, no it's very true you know that's the thing that you, you don't know 
um, what what can come out of something like that. Um, and and now it's it's even more difficult to make resources because of streaming and so forth. That there's so many other ways to hear music. Yes. Um, you know, I'm sure artists are. I mean, I, maybe things are going to change, but. But as we all know, um, you can go on YouTube and just about hear anything you want. Just about, um, you're right. For free. Yes. You, know, you can't have it, but you can hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on uh, a project right now uh, for, uh, and I think it'll come out sometime next year. It's a, it's a series of CDs on, on Gospel on the Savoy label. And uh, I've pretty much been able, the gentleman hasn't sent me the, the track, you know, the, the actual physical uh-huh. uh music to review but i've i may i've been able to write the liner notes just from going on youtube and catching anything i don't have sure i mean out of 48 songs or 50 songs so far i've i've been able to hear 46 of them on youtube there's only like four that i can't find so it's uh you know nowadays it's like tight tribbett once said he said you know what we used to talk about uh releasing a cd he said that's what we just do now we just release it (laughs) it's out there for free yes True release. Here goes my music. Yeah, um, literally. But, uh, I mean, a new album can be on YouTube the next day or that night. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. If the number of people will say just that. You know, so and so's album's coming. Oh yeah, I'll just listen to it on YouTube. Right. Well, you know, it's uh, so it's a, such a changing world, and so those dollars that were even ava- those few dollars that were available to artists back in the day are just even fewer right. now, unless the the laws change. And then it might become impossible for these things to be free anymore. So right. it's a real Especially conundrum. These vintage materials. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, in many ways, I some ways I used to be a little upset with Prince, but in a lot of ways I respect him as a independent artist of whatever state I am. Um, I can respect what he was doing for music. Um, yeah. It was really hard to find a video <laughs> or a recording of his music. Mm-hmm. on YouTube mm-hmm. and and a lot has let up since his passing. Um I remember Google Play wasn't mm-hmm. even able to stream his music because he had went totally uh and solely to uh, oh my goodness uh, uh title music with mm-hmm. Jay-Z and um I forget who else is a part of that. Um but I understand now because the pennies like you said the pennies that they were going to make they're not going to make them. And I, th- I was telling my wife not too long ago, if you did not write the song, you can already count your, your lucky stars and, and just and hang it up. You are not going to see any residuals from that. That's correct. You know, it's, it wasn't correct. enough just to record the song. And it's still the same today. You have to start mm-hmm. writing your material. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's very true, and that's why you see so many artists uh, new and it's it's a bit of a conundrum for a new artist because uh, if they, they, the need is to write your own material because you can't afford the royal you know to pay the licensing for the songs right. of others and then yet you don't know as a reviewer if the artist is good because well often as what happens is you're not sure if the artist is any good because you can't tell if it's the songs or their singing or what because the songs are new the artist is new the you know the arrangements are new and you can't really tell one from the other right. um, then when they sing you know a song that you know then you can really say okay well i can i can see where this person really has talent or no maybe they they aren't as talented 
you know, despite the fact that uh, they're singing a song that that we know. Um, so, but yeah, there's that movement to to write your own songs, as opposed to you know dipping into the you know some of these others right. that uh, maybe really can showcase your vocal abilities better. Right. But when you can't when you can't afford to include it, you you know it's, it's a moot point. Yes, I tell you now, I uh, was doing getting ready for my album, hopefully to be released before um, November. I'm hoping awesome. and praying. Thank you. Um, and I did buy a few licenses for some songs, and I just can't imagine trying to buy those licenses for, you know, over a million copies. Now, mind you, I put in just for a few hundred copies because I don't expect to mm-hmm. sell more than that. But you're absolutely right. If you can't afford to do it, you know, that quality material may not be in your grasp. It's very true. It, you can almost get to a point where only the the best capitalized artists can take advantage of the best songs. You're right. Granted, you know, new songwriters are always coming out and, and good ones are out there that maybe are on the sort of like a new painter or something. Their, yes. their artwork is not worth as much now because they're new. Maybe later it will be. Uh, but yeah, there. But I, I I often encourage artists to look at songs that maybe are good for them, but aren't as famous, but were perhaps back in the day yes. that they can update that they might get for a very nominal fee, yes. and and really make because yeah, as you know, there's so many wonderful songs that are out there that have just been forgotten, yes. and maybe they can bring them back mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. And uh, uh, and encourage that kind of thing, you know, or, or maybe an Edwin or Walter Hawkins song that has been sort of forgotten that they can sure. bring back or something yeah, like that. Absolutely right. And um, if this, yeah, that's the way to go about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, because to buy a Kirk Franklin song might be uh, cost prohibitive, but maybe a a song by uh, you know Milton Bigham from back in the day or A. T. Jones sure. or. You know somebody, uh, you know Lawrence Roberts or something. You might get one a decent price, sure. And it was a good song in its day. It it, it did what it needed to do. People were ministered to by it forty years ago, right? Uh, and maybe it could be again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, what projects do you have cooking up that we can expect from you in the future? Uh, I uh, the, probably the first one you'll see is we just finished uh, a 50th anniversary box of gospel for Malico Records. Uh-huh. Um, that it it because Malico has bought the licenses. Yes. And of course has its own from Apollo and Savoy and mm-hmm. Air and all these other labels. So what they did was they created a hundred a 100 disc or 100 song set of discs, probably be six or eight discs. Uh-huh that go from move on up a little higher Mahalia Jackson in 47 sure through the Canton Spirituals in 2010 and a lot of a lot of Savoy choirs so a lot of James Cleveland a lot of the mass choirs sure, the, yeah. the, the workshop choirs um, all through that um, and I wrote it's about a 125 page book that's going with it so I, I, I was responsible for writing that book alright and that'll come out so that'll be coming out this fall and then um then the Savoy project, some t- the from uh, the UK sometime next year, my guess, and that is not an overlap so much as it is more the uh, songs that that maybe aren't people aren't as familiar with. Okay. Um, and then um, then I am working on this book on the history of peace, be still, which is it's almost ready for submission to the uh, 
to the University of Illinois Press for consideration. Probably in November or so it will be. Um, it, it's almost done. It's be much smaller than probably a third of the size of, of a city called Heaven, but sure. it just focuses on the uh, the uh, Peace Be Still album and the history of the Angelic Choir and Lawrence Roberts and James Cleveland and uh, the response to the album and why and why it was so important in its day. Yes. And so it's been a project that you know it's it's it, I've been playing with this for about three years and it's. It's just about, it's been difficult because everything has to be done from scratch. Interviews, everything, I mean, there's nothing really written much about it. Right. So I had to go literally to those existing, still living members of the Angelic Choir yes. to piece together, you know, even who the musicians were, that sort of thing. So, but it'll be out sometime probably this point next year, God willing. Yes. Um, and then after that, um, I'm working on some other music articles. Um, uh, on, there's a group called the Voices of East Harlem that was a, a secular group, but okay. uh, for, formed out of, out of gospel music and were quite influential uh, in the late '60s, early '70s. And then just you know other other articles I've been uh, planning in music, um, not gospel related, but just like forgotten forgotten heroes of music, mm-hmm. um, people that in their day were popular but are today have been forgotten and sure. undeservedly so yes yeah and it's it's quite a shame you know how our people oh, when i say how our people i'm sorry i'm referring to gospel musicians um, mm-hmm, sure. are you know forgotten and, and um, looked over and um uh I tell you, because they're not getting any younger, and unfortunately, some of them aren't able to participate in programs. I do believe that last year's Roberta Martin concert was uh, probably one of the last few times we'll probably be able to see the Barrett sisters uh, uh, sing. Uh, I'm not sure if they've done anything since that time, but I have not seen anything on YouTube uh, since uh, June, no. July of that last year. I suspect if they if it happens, it's just sort of uh, spur of the moment. They're at a program, and somebody might ask him to get up and sing. But you know, I don't. You're right. I I think those are moments to treasure. And what Marcel West did in Detroit a few weeks ago. Yes. You know, just to have because you never know what's going to happen, and you want to appreciate people while they're here. Yes. Uh, I thought it was great. He gave them flowers while they were there. I I yes. was amazed to see Beverly Glenn, who I you know yes. I knew her name. It's like yes. oh my gosh. That's her, you know. I just want to go up and genuflect or something. <laughs> oh my goodness, who this lady? But you know, yeah, you're right. That we there is this generation now of, of people that that really have wonderful stories to tell. Who were kind of second generation mm-hmm. and some third generation artists, but that even that generation is in there, you know, getting up there and and uh, you know we all forget after a while. So sure. get them when I was just interviewing Evelyn Tarantinagi for yeah. a, a Journal of Gospel Music and. I mean, we. She could write a whole book on her life, what what she has done. So there's every every artist. These are they're fascinating stories about what they went through. Um, that you know it would take ten lifetimes to achieve, but even if some things can be put out there, I think it would really help people understand the struggles and also the joys that they had in this music and why it's so important. Yes, yes, so well said. Um, do you have any advice for any writers of uh, uh, historical events, uh, writers that want to write about uh, the people's lives and whatnot? Do you have any 
uh, advice for young writers out there? Right, I I, I do. I, I would say that uh, now is the time to start. You know, we can come up with lots of excuses for why we can't write. Um, I've always felt that the best way to start writing is to load the file up on your computer and start. Yes. Um, but, you know, really it's to tell the story. It's really to, 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 to find the story. You know, a lot of people may not think they have a story, but when you start talking with them and asking questions, mm -hmm. it's really important to just get at the humanity of what's happening. So sure. it's not about the records. It's not about the stellar awards or the Grammy awards or the red carpets, but what was it like for that person, you know, when they were starting out and right. what did they encounter? And even now when, you know, we think of them in one way as being famous and, you know, in demand, what do they struggle with still? Sure. And it's fascinating to hear what you may not expect from artists. So I always say, ask a lot of questions uh, treat your uh, your subjects, your interview subjects, with great respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and 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 when you're doubting yourself, just open up that document and start writing because that's the easiest way to get out of uh, any kind of uh, writer's block. Just yes. put that up on the screen and you start. You just start. Um, but do it, and uh, you know, don't worry about editing now. Just put it out there and just start writing and just let the story kind of develop itself. Yes. Wow. So the, uh, the ways that people can catch, uh, catch what you're doing, um, tell us those ways one more time. You're, uh, because you have three things that you have going for you, or at least one of them will be starting back up soon. So give us a recap on those. Sure. Sure. The, so the journal of gospel music, you can go to journal of gospel music.com and, uh, not only read, the current reviews and interviews, but also uh, uh, the conversations with the gospel legends, which is the TV show. Yes, you can always capture the most recent episodes there uh, of the show uh, on the Journal of Gospel Music, and then the radio show GospelMemories.com mm -hmm. uh, is you can re listen to at least four weeks of podcasts of the show there, um, and then there's all the information on how to listen live is on the website. But if uh, if you want to listen live to the show, it's on every Saturday morning at 10 Central Time. And you can go to wluw.org okay. and hit the listen live, and, and you'll be able to hear gospel memories from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central. But if you miss it, like I said, gospelmemories.com. The, the, the Sunday following the Saturday broadcast is the uh, the podcast goes up and stays up for a month. Well, friends, I thank you so much for listening to Lyrics and Melody. And a very big thank you to Mr. Bob Maravich. My hat goes off to him in his many endeavors in preserving gospel music and helping to tell these stories of these unsung heroes. And thank you again for listening. We look forward to being with you again next time.